0: Understanding of things, and we attribute to our understanding of who God is out that reservoir, and we draw wrong conclusions of who God is. The Word of God is perfect, it is inerrant, infallible. And we need to go to the reservoir of the word of God and what the word of God says of God and put our faith and our hope and our trust in what the word says. Specifically and very particularly when our circumstances are crying out some other message the enemy will afford the opportunity often in our lives to whisper non-true things about the character of God that would cause us to want to question his integrity, to question his character. It's how he operated, the enemy operated in the Garden of Eden, enabling or giving opportunity for Adam and Eve to question the character and the purpose that God had with them. And in so doing, they entered into sin as a result of their drawing from the wrong well, if you will, and drawing a conclusion about who God is from their own understanding of things. Does that make sense? So let's look at this portion of scripture together, Joseph and all who were part of the entourage are on their way back. Verse 14. Let's begin in verse 12. So his sons did for him just as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. Verse 14. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who went up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of your servants of the God of your father, And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Verse 22, so Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Will you pray with me this morning for just a moment? Father, as we look into the perfect law of liberty, I pray today that each of us would recognize your goodness, that you are sovereign, that you are working, and that you are causing all things to work together for good. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everyone said a strong amen. Amen. I know there have been times in my life where I have had the wrong perspective, the wrong perspective. I have been both tempted to and really by the very nature of just simply going on about my business, looking at things, looking at the circumstances, looking at all of the minutia of life through the eyes of the flesh. Through the eyes of the flesh. And there is a stark contrast between looking at life and the circumstances of life through the eyes of the flesh versus looking at them through the eyes of faith. And so, I remind us this morning of a story that uh, is found in all three of the what is known as the Synoptic Gospels Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And this Story is, after, after Jesus had uh, corrected, if you will, some of his disciples who, when they were bringing children to him, they said to the people, hey, stop. And Jesus said, no, suffer the little children not. And it's recorded for us that he said these words, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And immediately following this, a certain ruler came to Jesus, asking him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher, what shall I do? What works shall I do to inherit eternal life? Seems like a good question. Jesus' response is absolutely captivating to me because it is in his response that he reveals to us the very character and nature of God. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. One. That is God. Only God is good. Only God is good. And God only is good. God only is good. Will you say that with me? Well, let me do it this way God is good all the time. time. God God is good. all the time. No one but God is good. So, Romans 8 reminds us also, Romans 8, in fact, will you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 for just a moment? Romans 8, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is reminding us, or God the Spirit through Paul's writing is reminding us to this very day of these things. He says, I'd I'd like to start. We're going to spend some time just reading Scripture today. Are you okay with that? I'm okay with that. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Hey, if you're here this morning and you are facing sufferings in this present time, they are incomparable to the things that are before us, the things that are before us. For the earnest expectation of of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. I I want you to just pause for a moment and look this way. When God created the universe, and he created the universe, can I get an amen? amen? When he created it, Six days, he did all of his creative work. And when he was done with all of his creation, he beheld everything. And he says, behold, all is very good. It's very good. Now, in the vastness of the universe, and I don't have time today to give detail of the vastness of the universe... Scientists, creation scientists, have tried to ascertain the vastness. And they've estimated that the number of electrons in the universe is 10 to the 80th power. That's like a one with 80 zeros behind it. That is a massive number. Massive. And in my mind, when I think about how it was very good this massive universe on planet Earth, this little speck in the sea of the universe. A man and a woman in the Garden of Eden were tempted to eat a small piece of fruit, and they ate it. And what entered into the very good universe was corruption, corruption. And here's the thing, that one small act, in fact, one bite, we could do a quick analysis of what is in a single bite in a human's mouth, and we could determine how many molecules are even there. That small number of molecules that would have been in Adam's mouth of the fruit that was forbidden to eat We could actually know and have a quantitative number of how many electrons were actually in his mouth. And comparatively speaking, to the vast number of electrons in this universe, that's very small. But it subjected the entire universe to corruption. The entire universe. I would be one who would hold that We call it the second law of thermodynamics in science. It's the law of decay and it's winding downward. It's spiraling downward. And all of this creation is eagerly waiting. It was subjected to the futility not willingly for the redemption of God. Oh, that we would have a passion for the rapture of the church, the longing and loving for the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is no hope or not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope, For what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And so in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of the strife of every day, there is a hope for our future. We live with a perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And here's the verse that we're all so familiar with. And we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now I want you to capture that. The scripture says we know this. We know this. God is causing all things to work together for good. God is good and he's causing all things to work together for good. And then he says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's important. In this life, No matter what the circumstances are that you may be facing right now, no matter if there's trouble, no matter if there's heartache, no matter if there's difficult circumstances, no matter what may be coming your way, God is working in you. And he is bringing about the image of his son. Thanks be to God. Oh, that we would cooperate with the Lord and allow Jesus to be revealed in an ever-increasing manner, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? Listen, if God before us who can be against us? Hey, gang. God is for us. God is for you. God is for me. God is good. All the time. And all the time. Is he is causing all things to work together for the good, and He is for us. And if He is for us, then who? shall be against us. What can come against us? And you say, well, I, like Joseph, have had some bummer circumstances. I, like Joseph, in my life, have had difficult circumstances. I, like Joseph, have had difficulties and heartache and not the things that I expected to happen in my life. Could you imagine Joseph at 17? At 17 years old, he's on an assignment by his dad. His dad had said, hey, go check on your brothers. They've made their way down to Shechem, and they're tending the flocks. You can just imagine Joseph was probably packing a lunch, getting a handful of items ready to go, probably had a a blanket with him. He had his coat on, and he was heading out On assignment from dad, he gets to Shechem. He's standing out there in the field. There's no brothers to be seen. And he's identified by a man. And the man says, what are you looking for? He says, I'm looking for my brothers. And they said, oh, what? This man says, oh, well, I overheard them. They were talking about going down to Dathan or Dothan. He's like, all right. So he makes his way down there. And unbeknownst to him, when they saw him coming, they said, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him. Let's take his life. I think sometimes when we read the narrative, because we sort of know the rest of the story, that we miss the conversation. These guys were heartless, and their intent was to kill their brother So when he came upon them, they came upon him. Had it not been for one of the brothers to step up Reuben and intercede for him, they would have taken his life right then. But instead they threw him in a pit. A deep hole in the ground. The scripture later tells us With anguish and pleading, Joseph begged his brothers and they would have nothing to do with it. It gives us a little glimpse into the agony that Joseph must have felt because Joseph didn't know the rest of the story. He didn't know. You imagine while he's down in the pit, He probably couldn't hear the conversations that were going on. He figured he was gonna die there. No water, starvation. You just put yourself in the hole. Think about how aggressively his brothers probably manhandled him. I mean, they were gonna kill him. And when we get there, we think, okay, now, I can begin to identify with that atmosphere of no way out because you may be here today and you have faced circumstances where you say, I don't see a way out. I don't see a way out. I can't see the Lord in this at all. It's confusing to me. Then only to have his brothers concoct a story, hey, there's no reason he should die and us not make money off of it. Let's make money off of this guy. (laughs) That's like going from bad to worse. I'd rather that my brothers would have just me to die, but now that they want to actually make money off of me, that's like worse. And so they pull him up out of a hole to sell him as a slave to some Ishmaelites traveling down to Egypt. You know the story between Ishmael and Jacob. Conflict, been conflict to this very day. The conflict continues. So how are the Ishmaelites to treat Joseph? Poorly, he's a common slave. I mean, Joseph's circumstances Went from, this was bad. And here's the thing. Before he went to check on his brothers, you remember that he had had those dreams and he shared those dreams. Before he even shared the dreams, remember that Joseph was his father's favorite because he was the son of his old age and also he was the son of Rachel whom Jacob had loved from the very beginning. And so already Joseph was like the favored child and so the older brothers are like, young chump they didn't like him and then he shares the first dream and they're like we hate you even the more and it says that they spoke contentiously with him they could only speak contentiously with him. in other words he knew they hated him how do you think that made Joseph feel And then dad puts him in charge over the brothers, and when the brothers misbehave, he gives a bad report. Dad comes, brings it down on the guys, and they're like, how did you know? Well, only Joseph could have told you, so they hated him even the more. And he's just trying to do what's right. Anybody here just trying to do what's right, and you find that things are against you, circumstances are against you? Folks at work might be looking at you a certain way and feeling ill toward you, and you think, I've done nothing. Joseph's in that boat. Fast forward, tells the second dream, they hated him even the more, then they plotted, threw him in the pit, pull him out, sell him to Midianites. Then he gets down to Egypt. Now, again, to put yourself, do you think for one moment that that was a comfortable situation for Joseph. 17 years old, separated from his father, separated from brothers, even though they didn't like him, he's separated from them. What he knows is shepherding, and now he's in the metropolis of Egypt. He's a shepherd. Shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians. He's on the sale block for slaves. The Ishmaelites are now selling him. It's not a very comfortable scenario. Anybody here ever been in circumstances that you feel totally out of place? In fact, when you look at your circumstances, you might even be saying, how did I get here? What has transpired? And furthermore, why am I here? This is where the temptations of the enemy to begin to question the character of God and the goodness of God Will come in. Joseph maintained his character and his integrity knowing who God is. God is good. All the time. And all the time, God is, God is good. So that in the midst of his circumstances, he maintained his faith in God. So in Potiphar's house, when there was a false accusation against him, he had already been living a squeaky clean life. It's very interesting to me that Potiphar is the head of the executioners. When the accusation of Potiphar's wife against Joseph was made, one has to wonder, why didn't Potiphar just have Joseph executed? When the text says that Potiphar was angry, it makes me wonder who he was angry at. Maybe he was actually angry at his wife for making a false accusation, but in order to save face, he simply put Joseph in prison. Whatever the conjectures are around there, Joseph ends up in prison unduly. It was not his doing. His circumstance, bad, worse, getting worse, worser. Worserist, or wherever you can go with that scale of economies, and now he's a slave of a slave in prison because of a false accusation. Man, it is like bottom of the barrel kind of stuff. Anybody here ever felt like there's no more bottom to the barrel for you to scrape to get lower in your circumstances? Sometimes we have felt like, how in the world did it get like this? And then someone comes along and says, hey, consider it pure joy when you face all kinds of troubles, trials. And we're like, say it again, please. Because we begin to forget the character and nature of God. And we begin to look at the minutia and the stuff and the circumstances and the difficulties and the hardship and the grief and the time and all of that. It's weighty. And the enemy starts whispering in our ears about how, look at those other people. They haven't haven't made they got it easy. What an easy road. If you just had blah, blah, blah. And all this stuff to try and compare with others and all that kind of stuff. And it messes our thinking up. And it messes our perspective of who God is. You know the rest of the story because we've been in Genesis. A couple guys end up in prison with Joseph and They have a dream. He comes in. Here's the amazing thing. In the midst of Joseph's hardships, he's able to discern on the faces of a couple of Egyptians that they're downtrodden about something, and he inquires about it. He says, why are you down today? And they said, well, we've had a dream, and we don't understand it, and there's no one to interpret. He says, well, tell me the dreams. They told him the dreams. He says, well, here's one, and here's the other. (laughs) And in three days, these things are going to transpire. And in three days, they did. And Joseph said to, the, said to the butler, hey, remember me when you are before Pharaoh again. Did the butler remember him? No. Two more years in prison. Wrap yourself around that. Two years. Like that's 730 days. That's a long time to be in prison let alone the amount of time he had been there previously. That's tough, frustrating. Well, you know the story. He gets called up because of Pharaoh's dream. He's placed in charge. Joseph maintained his faith in the midst of his hardships. He held fast to the goodness of God. I want to encourage all of us to have that perspective, to maintain our understanding from God's word, that God is good. These are the words of our Messiah. Jesus spoke these words. There is no one good but, well, there is none good but one. That is God. God is good. All the time. And all the time. Amen. So some 20 years, Joseph in the midst of all of this. Now, Jacob, Joseph's father, whom he has just buried, different place. A whole set of different circumstances. And Jacob had his own hardships. He had his own difficulties. He had his own circumstances. But how interesting that Jacob in his life, in fact, when Jacob saw Joseph again, Joseph eventually brought Jacob, his father, before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, when he sees Jacob, he says, how old are you? (laughs) Jacob's response is interesting. The days of your servant have been few and evil. Bad days for me, bad days. In fact, before Jacob even came down to Egypt. When he was back and he got word from his sons that Simeon was held captive and unless they brought Benjamin, Simeon also was gonna face death but certainly would be dead to Jacob because Jacob would never see him again unless Jacob allowed Benjamin to come down to see Joseph. And so Jacob says, First Joseph, now Simeon, and you want Benjamin also? All these things are against me. Anybody identify with Jacob? Jacob is looking at his circumstances with the natural eye the eye of the flesh, if you will. Bad circumstance, bad circumstance, bad circumstance. Everything is against me. Terrible. But in reality, not everything against him. In reality, Joseph who made the declaration Listen to Joseph's declaration back in Genesis 50. Joseph says it this way. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Jacob, who couldn't see with eyes of faith, everything, all my days have been evil and all of this is against me, Joseph, rough days, but he says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. So two perspectives. And I would submit to you today that the two perspectives is looking at our circumstances through the eyes of the flesh or looking at our circumstances through the eyes of faith. Looking at things through the eyes of the flesh will lead us down a path to begin to question the character of God. When we look at our circumstances through the eyes of faith, we will be perpetually reminded God is good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. God is good. And so. I'm reminded of the story of the lame man in the New Testament at the pool of Bethesda. There are five areas around the pool of Bethesda. And at the pool of Bethesda, there are many that are gathered that are lame and blind and maimed and sick. And on occasion, an angel will enter into the water and he will begin to stir the water. And after the water has been stirred, the first person in the water would be healed. you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Fascinating. God working that way. So Jesus says to this man who had been infirmed for 38 years. When you begin to equate the heartache and the hardship that you may be facing these days, enumerate Joseph some 20 plus years, could have been as many as 25 years. This man some 38 years infirmity. Jesus says, do you want to be made well? And he says, well, every time I try and get into the water after it's been stirred, somebody always beats me into the water. Do you want to be made well? He says, rise, take up your mat, and walk. And the man rose, rolled up his mat, and started walking, praising God. Later, after much ado about the Sabbath, the Pharisees verbally assaulting Jesus. Jesus says, look, my father is working, and I too am working. That is super reassuring to me Because sometimes people's perspective about what God is is that he is not engaged with our lives. He is not engaged with humanity. But Jesus sets the stage straight. My father's working, and guess what? My father works on the Sabbath. (laughs) He says that I'm working too. That's good news for you and I. He is working, and knowing that he is good, and knowing that he is causing or working all things together for the good, we can have a proper perspective and a proper theology about who God is and we can approach our circumstances with eyes of faith eyes of faith The scripture tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of the unseen Let's do this I want to I just want let's turn in our bibles to Hebrews for a moment Hebrews towards the back of your Bible in the 11th chapter. Hebrews in the 11th chapter. I I want to remind us today twofold. Number one, be careful. Let's not be comparing one another's stories in terms of why would God allow this and why would God allow this? In other words, if someone is being blessed and you're going through hardship, to not compare and, and begin to question why God would be and allowing the things that God allows. Listen to what Hebrews reminds us. Verse 30 says, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. We could just stop there for one moment and look this way. There's not a person in this room who would not have wanted to be there on this day. And if you didn't want to be there on that day, you're an anomaly to me. On the seventh day, to see the walls, when they shouted, to see the walls fall, history would tell us that the walls, they were weighted inwardly so that the structure itself supported itself and held those big towering walls up. So if they crumbled, one would think that no matter what, because of just sheer gravity, they would fall inward. (laughs) But history tells us that the walls of Jericho fell outward. It was like God just dropped a little bomb on the inside and went, and just dropped open. The walls came down. Fascinating. Are you here today, and you have some walls that need to be broken down in your life? things that are holding you captive inside and you just need those walls to be broken. God will break walls by faith because God is working and he is working all things together for good. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would not or time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others, let me stop here for a moment. Now that's one group. And I know in my mind, I'd think, man, I'd like to know more about these stories. I wish the apostle Paul, under the inspiration, or whomever was the author of Hebrews, I just leaked it out that I kind of think it's Paul. Anyway, whomever the author was, Time would not get, he didn't have enough time to tell of those. Boy, I'd like to know more. We have a history, but there is more to the story, and I would like to know the more of the story. And yet, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still, others had trial of mockings, scourgings, yes and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. One set of circumstances seeming like all things were valiant and amazing and exciting and, I mean, imagine stopping the mouths of lions. Wow. And right over here, a whole different set of circumstances. Does that make God any less sovereign? No. Does that change his character? No. Is God still good all the time and all the time God is good? Yes. Did it mean that God wasn't working here and he was working over here? No, he's working the whole thing. And he was causing all things to work together to the good. doesn't change the character of God. Your circumstances, my circumstances, regardless of what they are. They don't change the character of who God is. People want to know why. We don't have those answers. We just have faith. We trust that God is good and that he is working and he is causing all things to work together for the good. Now, here's, here's to me, the end all, if you will. When Joseph said to his brothers, As for you, what you intended, you intended evil, but God meant it for good. For what purpose did God intend it for good? That many would be saved. Joseph was sent ahead under very difficult circumstances. None of us would want that. We'd like the end of the story on our lives, Elevated to a position of authority. Difficult. And yet, as a result of Joseph getting there and all that transpired in his life, God elevated him to a position so that he could store up food in seven years so that there would be plenty during the seven years of extreme drought. He not only saved the 70 in his own family, but he saved the thousands upon thousands of those that live live there in Egypt and the surrounding known world. Your circumstances and my circumstances, God is working in them. And he's working good. And the good, a part of the good that God is working is he is revealing himself in us. If we would allow God to be revealed in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's Christ in us that brings hope in another. And when we let our light shine in the midst of our hardships and difficulties, others will see how we respond. If we respond in the natural man, all other natural men can respond that way. What do you and I have that they would desire if we're simply living according to the flesh? But if we will live by faith and operate, no, God is good, I have hope. And in the midst of my hardship, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And they see, and those on the outside will wonder what it is that we have that they don't. And that's an opportunity for us to testify. I don't stress, I don't fret, I don't worry because I know who's in charge. God is good all the time and he is working in my life and something good is going to come. And we can know that we know. So, how do we respond? How do we respond when the circumstances of life hit us? Eyes of faith or eyes of the flesh. I wanna challenge us to look with eyes of faith. Not based on our circumstantial evidence, but based on the facts contained within God's word. The facts. God is good. And because God is good and God is working all the time, And he is causing all things to work together for good. I would submit that we could be trusting him more. Trust in the Lord with most of your heart. All of your heart. Trust trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not what? On your own understanding. So be trusting him. Be believing him. What must I do to do the works of him who called me? This is the work, believe. Believe on him whom he sent. Believe in Jesus. Believe, believe. Be waiting on the Lord. Isaiah the prophet reminds us, they that, what, wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Let's soar with wings like eagles while we wait on the Lord. Let's be patient, live that life of perseverance knowing God is good. He's working and he's working good. Let's be talking to him. I think sometimes we lose perspective because we break communion with the Lord. Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way, and he gave us a model of prayer, and he also encourages us, go into your closet, close the door behind you, and your father who is in the secret place will see you in the secret place, and he will reward you openly. We need to frequent the secret place. Your personal time, just you and the Lord. No one else needs to know about it. Nobody, just you and your father. Here's the beauty, John 16, verse 13. When the Spirit comes, the Spirit of truth comes, he will lead you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but he will speak those things he has heard, and the scripture goes on to say, and he will show you things to come. You're wondering about your circumstances. We do a lot of talking horizontally this way, or excuse me, uh, no, yeah, horizontally this way. We talk to people about our stuff. And our people, they commiserate with us. Hopefully you're directing people vertically to the Lord. But when we're talking to the one who knows the future, he's the one who can actually give us true comfort. He can show us the work that he is working in us Isn't that good? He will show you things to come. How many of us here want to know, God, what are you doing? Now, does he always show? No, but what he will always do is encourage us to believe and to trust him because he is good all the time and all the time he is. Yes. Yes. So we can be talking with him, spending time with him, refreshing The washing of the water of the word, our minds being renewed by the washing of the water of the word. When the whispers are coming from distressing spirits all around us and the voices and all the vain conceit of our own lives are arguing with us, we need the washing of the water of the word of God so that the truth we can use to combat those things that are false. What does the scripture say in 2 Corinthians? Bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It's the truth. The truth will what? Set you free, right? And finally, I would say, we could be obeying him. Let's be faithful now. Let's be faithful now. Like those in Hebrews who were valiant and stopped up the mouths of lion, there were those who were sawn asunder. I think of John the Baptist. We'll close with these thoughts. John the Baptist. Jesus' testimony of John the Baptist, none like him. Faithful. John was doing what God told him to do. Prepare the way of the Lord. He was out in the wilderness eating grasshoppers, and calling men to repentance, baptizing them. Jesus came, and he said to his disciples, I must decrease, he must increase. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And his disciples left him and spent the day with Jesus. You didn't see John saying, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. hey, fellas, where are you going? No, he knew. His public ministry was not very long. You see, he made some statements and found himself in prison. Could you imagine the day that Herod was caught up in Herodias' dance when he said, up to and including half the kingdom is yours, whatever it is that you want. And she said... Bring me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. You imagine John in the cell when he heard the keys rattling in the lock and the key and the door squeaking open. What's going on, guys? What was that 30 second conversation like? to be told your head has been required of you. Joseph, 110 years. John, 30 years. Here's the thing. My last encouragement, be obeying him. Be faithful today, you see, One principle for sure, looking at Hebrews chapter 11, we can see, looking at the life of Joseph and looking at the life of even John, we could say, no one knows how many days you have left. God knows, but you and I don't. So let's be faithful to his calling in us today. Today. So that when our number is called, so to speak, and we're called up yonder, we'll hear those words Well done, now good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done. Let's be faithful. God is good. Let's respond to his goodness by simply gratitude and obedience to the Lord. Does that make sense? God is working salvation in the hearts and lives of many people through you and I. Let's be directing them to Jesus by our faith and how we respond to the circumstances of our life. No matter the storm, will you let Jesus bring the peace and the calming in your life so that others will see Christ in you and we can invite them to know Jesus. Amen? Will you stand with me this morning? If you're here this morning and you would like to know more about faith in Christ, what it means to be born again, to know that your sin is forgiven, to exercise faith in what Christ accomplished upon the cross at Calvary, shedding his own blood, that our sin might be covered, we would invite you after service to come down to the front. Myself or Pastor Dennis or one of our elders will be here and we would love to talk with you and answer any questions you might have and also have the opportunity to pray with you. For all of us who are here this morning, I want to encourage you in these things that you and I, we would be faithful to the Lord, knowing that God is good all the time, trusting in the midst of our circumstances his goodness. He is causing all things to work together for the good. Though we may not be able to see it, know that God is working good. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you Lord, we pray for courage in the midst of the hardships and the difficulties of life because certainly there are hardships and it's very easy for us to look at the wrong things. But God, we wanna have eyes of faith. We wanna be more like Joseph in all that we do, to believe, to know that you are working and you're working good to those who are the loved of God. So Lord, help us. And Lord, may we, Walk by faith and not by sight. To, Lord, see those things that are not as though they are. To believe and to know that, God, those things that are impossible with man are possible with you. All things are possible with God. Lord, help us to believe your word and your word and what it says of you, rather than our just understanding naturally, but to believe, God. We love you. We ask that you go before us, and we're asking that as a result of our lives, many would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. God, be glorified. We ask your blessing in Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said a strong amen. Amen. Go in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Have an amazing week in Jesus. God bless you.